21CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bowl. Uh, many of us are still virtual teaching, but we're not going to actually talk about that today. We're going to talk about something completely different, oracy. Like me, you may not be familiar with oracy, the ability to express yourself fluently and with proper grammar. But as educators, you're likely familiar with the concept and supportive of the idea. I talk today with Daniel Thomas. He's the head of Oracy at School 21, a free school in London. We jump into the power of Oracy and its impact on learning, specifically for students from financially challenged backgrounds. Enjoy the conversation. Daniel Thomas, thanks for joining me on the program today. No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, it's nice to have you here in these interesting times. This is, you know, all the podcasts I've been doing recently all revolve around COVID and virtual school. And we'll want to talk about more interesting things as we go along here. Uh, but let's just start with your school, School 21. Uh, tell us about that, that school. What, give us a little information and background. Yeah, sure. So um, School 21, um, it's called that, just so, you, so everyone knows, because it's a school for the 21st century. So that's why it's 21. So you have less than 100 um, years to get it right. Exactly. But yeah. I interrupted. We started off, <laughs> that's okay. Um, we started off in 2012 in the shadow of the London Olympics. So it was kind of part of, I guess, or at least a slightly aligned with the regeneration of that particular area of London, which is uh, the borough of Newham. Um, we're in Stratford, which is within Newham. And... I suppose it came about because there's three founders, um, Peter Hyman, Ollie de Botton, and Ed Fido. And they came together over the shared interest of seeking a new model for education. Um, and they've all got quite interesting backgrounds, actually, which mm -hmm. mm, make sense in terms of the values of the school and the direction. So uh, Peter Hyman used to, uh, was a speechwriter and a political strategist for uh, Tony Blair and the Labour Party. Ah. Um, uh, Ollie Bottom was also um, a local councillor and worked in the Labour Party as well. And then Ed Fido worked in uh, start, uh, startup businesses and in the city. And also um, he, he was a theatre producer as well. So he kind of all had this love or at least an appreciation of the value of language and particularly spoken language and the power of using your voice uh, in society. Mm -hmm. um, and they... They wanted to. They wanted to. I think initially, um, at least, somehow buy into a school or get into a school and, and promote that idea. But they just couldn't find the right school. They couldn't find a model that would allow that. So they thought, let's just start our own school. Sure, why not? Um, yeah, and so they started school. Uh, they started this school twenty one, and that was eight years ago now. And it's gone from a porter cabin. Uh, with a one one year group of seventy five and a group of maybe twenty staff to now full school, which runs right the way from reception class, which is five years old, to sixth form, which is eighteen, and you know it's maxed out. You've got seventy five per year group and full staff. Feels like a, a real big big school now. So a big part of your school, and I, I understand now why, is Oracy. Can you, can yeah. you tell us a little more about Oracy? I mean, I, like probably a lot of people listening, when, when I first came across that word, I was like, what the, is that? I had to check it out. I have a little bit better understanding, yeah. I think, now. But can you enlighten us about that? Yeah, I mean, first, just to say, um, it, I think one, it, it is Oracy and and. and uh, but there is uh, two other kind of core pedagogies of the school. And I think one of the things that 
Peter certainly speaks well on is creating a school which has a really textured uh, and broad curriculum offer for the students. So okay. there's also project-based learning, which we which we do, and um, coaching, which is a kind of uh, version of um, pastoral work, which we which we champion. So we have very small groups of 12 to 15 with oh, one okay. teacher. And that teacher takes those uh, students through their school journey. So it's not just Oracy. I just wanted to make that point. But sure. Oracy is, um, it's many things, but I suppose the way we would view it, well, one of our taglines is it's uh, finding your voice both physically and metaphorically. And that's quite a nice one-liner to sum it up. So I suppose it's about teaching the explicit skills of both presentational talk and exploratory talk. Um, both as a tool for learning, so as a pedagogy within itself. So you could use mm -hmm. oracy within classrooms as a strategy to learn maths or science or uh, engage with a text. Um, but you could also teach explicitly the hard skills of, let's say, debating or public speaking or interview skills or making a speech. Um, so I suppose there's that continuum of exploratory what we would call exploratory talk at one end and presentational talk at the other and oracy is a broad term to encompass all of that so it's oracy something that was seen as at least by those three founders and i'm sure you is something that's so powerful everybody really should have that skill to communicate their ideas and to push through the thoughts and changes they're hoping for maybe yeah i mean i mean <laughs> It's one of those things where it's very clear. And if you say to most people, if not all people, look, how do we sort of learn and understand things? It's, it's by talking, expressing ourselves and collaborating with each other. It's kind of a no brainer, really. Um, but it doesn't, that notion doesn't seem to quite fit in what, what I would call um, a traditional, more monologic, mm -hmm. didactic education system, where it seems to be much more about information passing. Uh, from an expert to a, a, some a, a kind of group of non-experts, um, and then and back so, out to a test. But yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then to be held accountable. To a test. So it's, it is all you know that system is all kind of back back backdated from the the exam system. I suppose it has to be like that in a way. Um, but I think Oracy does a lot of things. But one thing I, I think it does, which is very powerful, it kind of it democratizes knowledge in a way because it allows everyone to have their own perspective ah. and then uh you know get have their own access point to the knowledge also hear a multiple uh, perspectives and alternative perspectives on that piece of knowledge and then synthesize that piece of knowledge for themselves and i think it's that classic academic framework of learning it's the thesis antithesis synthesis which we would probably learn much more in higher um academic uh, institutions here so that might be the way you were taught in university to write an essay or a dissertation sure you'd have a thesis so you'd have antithesis and you would then synthesis um, but I guess it's that process really which you're applying to all content in every classroom if you can get oracy right as a pedagogy so I, I'm curious what it like looks like from practical terms in a classroom but before we get into that I had sort of this vision that there's this student standing up in a Harry Potter kind of environment and all these formal judges are down there and they're thinking to themselves, is this student better or worse than Churchill in speaking? Does, does it look like that or is my vision just way off? I think 
it can it that that could be one aspect but i also think that is a slight misconception with oracy in general um okay not a misconception that, of churchill okay got it but go on not a misconception of churchill <laughs> but i think the the um the misconception being is that oracy is all about teaching kids how to talk and that's very um to me that's a very dangerous mm-hmm. statement for from a state as, as we are a state and national you know that the government creates creates these schools and for, for, for us to say that we're now going to teach students how to talk that would pin up this sort of ideal way of talking and of course well in the yeah, UK there was there was that there was a, something called received pronunciation which was a, a mixture of I think uh, kind of London dialect Oxford dialect it was like ah. a triangle of areas in the UK and that was seen as the perfect uh, accent and it's often described here as the BBC accent because everyone on the BBC spoke and received pronunciation. Ah, I see. And just just a quick so, aside, but, but as, if, as an American, I learned that there's so many more accents in the UK. America, we have like four accents or something. In a smaller country mm. like the UK, has zillions of accents within, and there's all this status, right, within each accent. But you're saying you're dropping yeah. that, and you're not worried about the accent. It's more about... Yes. No, I, I would say that... Um, Within oracy, there is space for teaching uh, the agility to have your own voice in lots of different contexts. Say. Okay. So it's not saying that there isn't a space to speak in a more formal way and use particular language, which you might not use in other contexts. So it's just taking into account that you have to own your voice in a way where you can use it effectively and authentically in any given context and feel empowered to do so. Okay, I see. And so is there maybe like, a, let's say I'm in a, I'm a 12-year-old student at your school. What would it look like? What do you think Oracy would look like for them? So I think on a very, very kind of basic level, you just do a lot more talking in the classroom. So teachers are teachers of oracy pedagogy at our school. Um, And so whether they're a maths teacher, a science teacher, an English teacher, a computer science teacher, an art teacher or whatever, you would be delivering whatever content you're delivering and you would be conscious and aware to be using talk, structured talk um, to deliver that content. And so we have like a kind of basic set of protocols which would be you would always have a set of talk expectations in the class in the same way that you might have behavioral expectations. So those would often be co-collaborated between the students. So they'd, they'd think very carefully about how they might want to talk and listen to each other in that space with that teacher, with that group. And that would almost always be pinned up on the wall somewhere, displayed, so they can huh. hold each other account to that. You then have like a series of kind of intentional protocols to facilitate the talk. So we have a set of talking physical structures. So you would have pairs, trios. You would have something called a traverse, which is when the class would stand or sit in two parallel lines opposite each other. You have something called an onion, where you get into a smaller inner circle and then a bigger outer circle. And that kind of gives you lots of different ways and structures for the students to engage and talk with each other. Um, You then, uh, certainly within classroom tasks, when you're exploring knowledge uh, using talk, you would have different talk roles, let's say. So you would have a clarifier, a challenger, a prober, an instigator, a summarizer. Wow. A chair. 
And so you would teach all of these different roles really explicitly. So it's, um, it's, a, it's but, a hopelessly non-passive engagement. If you're, even though you're not speaking, you're busy. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the key things about oracy as a pedagogy, as a kind of learning tool, is we would also place a really heavy emphasis to reflect upon it as a process. Mm-hmm. So as well as all of that going on, we might also have students in the classroom, let's say, sitting outside of the conversation and giving feedback, not on how well the students are doing in their science, but how well the students are doing in actually how they're having the conversation. So they would give critique and feedback on improving the way they had the conversation. Huh. I, I had a question. I'm wondering if some people might be thinking this. So, you know, the power of oracy certainly is compelling and it's great to be articulate and be able to express your thoughts. But do ideas move today differently? Do they move only in 200 characters at a, at a wider scale, at a faster pace? Does that mean oracy is not as relevant as it could be? Should, should we be teaching those other things or does that even make oracy maybe more relevant? Well, I certainly think that we should be teaching these these other things. I mean, from a, this is me speaking personally rather than on behalf of the school. But, you know, mm. I think it's very clear to me that the general state of the education system is, you know, I mean, very far behind, 100 years too far back, uh, in, in, stuck in history. And so we sh- certainly should be moving with technology. I mean, there's... there's you know, there's very. In fact, one of the one of the kind of positive things of the current situation is we're having to fast track a lot of use of technology within education to facilitate virtual learning. So, you know, some some of the things that are happening in the last couple of months would have possibly taken four or five years to be implemented in that kind of slow, gradual, grinding change in in the in the bureaucracy of education. Whereas, uh-huh. forced in this in this sort of in this situation in this catastrophe it's created a landscape for for kind of real change to happen really quickly so on the technology side i think absolutely i agree with you on that um it's interesting with uh the kind of 200 character point i i mean my take on it would be twofold number one i think the way that social media um and information certainly is engaged with by young people through devices and communicated um sort of somehow uh erodes away uh, a sense of um multiple perspective taking um it seems to me that it's all very much um they're very much kept at the center of their own universes. I mean, if to get technical by probably quite sophisticated algorithms, mm-hmm. which kind of keep all of us in these echo chambers and bubbles within social media and any ideas are simply reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed um, within, within the kind of technological structures that students grow up in now. So in on that point, I would say it's absolutely vital um, to have oracy in classrooms to create uh to create a landscape where multiple perspectives can be opened up and we can like really listen understand be empathetic to other people's views and opinions and see get a glimpse into other people's worlds because we're you know we're we're stuck in a world where you know it's literally nose to phone or nose to device or nose to controller mm-hmm. that that's our that's our world our bubble our bubble has reduced down to that size and that, um, so I, I think I it's think an interesting <clears throat> point you're you're saying that oracy can act as a counterweight to 
uh, what we're seeing with just those short forms of communication. So, I mean, that's going to happen. We can't change that, but the having that counterweight to it at least makes us better informed and better listeners at some point. I think it provides a kind of set of skills to be able to negotiate the world. Ah. So, so we, uh, you know, I, I think that that technological revolution is is fast paced, and it will continue to be fast paced and potentially even exponentially grow. But uh, it's it's for me, it's it's creating a set of tools, a toolkit to be able to negotiate that world um, and not be uh, not be overrun by it. I suppose. Uh, so, Danny, I wanted to turn a little bit. We talked to you. You mentioned about project-based learning and then the coaching. Project-based learning has become much more established and popular, and I'm seeing coaching or social-emotional learning or pastoral care, as you referred to it, becoming more mainstream now. It seems to be the next thing in line after project-based learning. Uh, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that with your school? Now, you mentioned before the show your school is not in the richest part of town. I don't know if that means that pastoral care is more important than ever. My guess is it does. Just maybe talk a little bit about your pastoral care program. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's we, we, we call it coaching. So we, we give a lot of contact time and value to coaching. And so you, okay. you are a co- I, I am, let's say, a coach of a, a group of 14 year nine students. And the idea would be that I stick with them as a, as a core group throughout their whole school journey um and in terms of the contact time so it becomes like it would be it would be natural to have a form tutor let's say within most schools where you have a group of students you are loosely pastorally responsible for um but most of the time that tends to be a kind of register in the morning and potentially a register in the afternoon and that's about it um but we have a kind of whole uh, coaching um, curriculum, which is designed by coaches. Um, we use texts which are responsive to the needs of the year group, and we kind of grow uh, the curriculum from a text. So we would take the students, let's say, for a term, looking at um, a text. So one of the texts we're using at the moment is Little Bit, which is a fictional text set in East London about mm-hmm. a young a young boy kind of trying to negotiate his his way through through some challenging situations and so we try to find texts which are responsive to the needs of the students but then use pedagogies like p4c and oracy would be a kind of bridging pedagogy to facilitate opening up conversation in that coaching space using the stimulus of the themes and ideas that we can draw out of the text but it's very much i would say led by the students and it's a space it's a kind of safe space where there's no outcome there's no assessment at the end of it there's no kind of uh, monitoring of the students it's a space where they can explore ideas um and hopefully uh i mean i suppose and then we we then as coaches are that point of support for those students throughout their school journey so we would be the the first person that those students would come to if they if they needed anything. So it creates and fosters a really, really positive relationship between that small group and and the coach. Sure. And and does that coaching? Do they let's say when they move up another year, is it a new coach at that point, or do they carry along together? No, you would follow. I mean, in an ideal world, you would follow your coaching group through. Uh-huh. I mean, that of course with with changes and people leaving and coming to going and and uh, taking on different roles and things like that it doesn't quite always work out like that but mm-hmm. the idea would be this that you take you have a coaching group 
within our secondary model, which starts at year nine. So I would have my coaching group um, in year nine and I would take them through year nine, 10 and 11, which would be their secondary journey. Okay, I see. And, you know, and actually, even if there's a change, the more adults you have, you know, keeping an eye on you, whether that's either directly or indirectly, certainly it's a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, and I think that's one of the things about Oracy, I guess, is that, I mean, we quite... It's, we use a lot of slogans in, in our school. It's kind of an in-joke that we have a lot of shared language, which is a little bit uh, brand, a brand, a kind of branding. We love rebranding things. But um, Oracy, is, we say it's the lifeblood of the organization. So it's the, kind of, it's, it's, the, it's the fluid, it's the oil that runs through everything. So it kind of it creates the environment within the pedagogy of Oracy, creates the environment in coaching to facilitate all of the conversation which uh, comes from the text. Oh, I see. Well, Daniel, we're coming towards the end of our time here. And traditionally, I ask a more a future-oriented question. You, you, you mentioned you, know, you guys have a full complement of students all the way from the youngsters to the top and that your classes yeah. are full. So are we going to see six more Century 21s pop up over the next few years? Do you guys have some growth plans? Yeah, yeah. So there's a primary school coming in 2021, which is, only, I think, within a mile oh, nice. of the current school. And then in 2023, there's a, a secondary school, um, which I think the site has yet to be determined, but it will definitely be within Newham. So, so we're focusing in the same area of London, but um, yeah, and it's going to be an interesting journey to be a part of that, actually, because, you know, it's a little bit, I don't think the idea is to completely replicate what we've done oh, at the not. original school. Okay. No, well, I mean, um, I certainly think we're going to learn. We're going to certainly take, take lessons from what we've done but it's a bit of a blank canvas at the moment so we're we're, we're going through a consultancy uh, and a development phase you know having lots of having lots of meetings and initial initial ideas are coming coming through so it's really exciting times do you ever worry that uh, the new school is going to change its way and and just become you know sort of depart i guess and go off in its own direction over time without that sort of um, hard constitution I, of, of sharing the same views I don't think, for me, that's not a worry because I feel like with the original model with our school, uh-huh. we've tried to do a lot. We've, we've been, it's a very, very aspirational model. We've, we're doing so many different things and we're trying to, we're trying to like kill every bird with, with every stone here. And um, I think it wouldn't be such a bad thing to maybe take certain aspects of it and really focus on them and narrow down and double down on those uh, folks, whether that be project-based learning or coaching or um, oracy, uh, you know, I, I would like to actually see what would happen if you took a certain aspect of the school and then really focused uh, solely on that. Well, Daniel Thomas, thanks so much for your time today. I certainly enjoyed our conversation and all the learning that uh, was part of it. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to speak to you, Michael. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.